Well, and 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 hopefully you kind of look back and think it was fair, kind of everything I was asking. Because I was. Oh, to... I thought so, and I mean, hopefully my answers explain some some things. I mean, no, because that's. I mean, at the end of the day, that is at least what I've heard through direct messages and other stuff is how can you take money from uh noble and not call out the guy for being a for being so we don't we don't actually take money from noble they're not a customer um slumberjay is not a customer um and and they're they've got the big lawsuit you know um, right noble's not a customer um anna darko was a customer but they were not a customer when all that happened and I, i had no idea about it but what's interesting is there's all those problems and those problems are, I mean, it actually opened my eyes to the fact that there is an opportunity to help those organizations with those challenges, but I'm not staffed adequately to do that. That's consulting well, work. Well, you know? and, it, and I mean, it's, and in fairness to you, um, it's hard as an entrepreneur with a startup to say, you know, oh, I'm not going to take dollars from Anadarko because they had this one incident happen. I mean, because you start looking at every organization, there's an incident at all of them, you know? And it's- Yeah, but you know what I will tell you? I will say this. Um, I've said no to organizations that I knew were just check, check, trying to check a box and wanted to just brand with us. That was getting back to the whole, I don't want your money. You know, I'm not going right. to promote. I'm, you are not a fit for us. Like you just, and I mean, I've said it in nice ways, you know, like, no, that's not a fit for us or, or I've been burned too, where customers, you know, have come in and I'm like, okay, that was a mistake, you know, and I'm glad they're gone. Right. They work themselves out kind of situation, but I think everybody goes through that. Right. They have a client that it's like, that wasn't a fit. So no. And I almost, I almost asked that in terms of, are there times where you feel like you're being used? You know, um, you know what? You can ask that question. Um, yes, that question is valid. And I've, I've had in the course of the f- six years, I've felt in, in the course of the six years, I felt twice and I've gotten very good at, at the sniffing it out. You know, I, just good qualify, you know, good qualifying questions. Um, and, uh, and then I also think too, uh, we've been lucky. We've had very few customers leave, um, but with growth, <laughs> um, that, that could change obviously. And that's why we're, we're raising capital. We're raising capital so we can grow and we can staff appropriately and we can grow our platform and do all the things that, that high growth companies do. Talk about this, talk about that. Chuck Yates needs a job. I had a point, I don't know where it's at. Chuck Yates needs a job. You know, listener, uh, it's a real work of charity you're doing, just listening to this thing. You're gonna be a lot of parts in here you're gonna wanna fast forward, mostly when Chuck's talking. You're gonna wanna pause for the Katie parts, you know. Anyway, uh, enjoy. That's possible. Chuck Yates needs a job. Well, Katie Maynard, CEO for at least what? 24 more hours, Pink Petro. And we'll not even 24. We're 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 what seven, eight hours, hours until the big 
Uh, well, technically, technically, the company changed names in the middle of the month, but we we we've called it called it the end um, today. So, Katie, really glad you're here. This is kind of cool because a statistic for you: ninety percent of podcasts never make it beyond episode ten. That's kind of the statistic out there. You are episode 10 of Chuck Yates Needs a Job. I'm glad to be here on episode 10. So let's start episode 10 off this way. Tell us about Pink Petro. Tell us about the name change. And then tell us what your business model is. Because when I sit there on Energy Finance Twitter and we're watching everything go back and forth, my takeaway from watching all that is nobody knows what the hell you do. And that includes me. And I actually think I'm pretty smart and I can't figure it out. So why don't we start off there? Is that cool? Sure. Well, let me start with the why first. Uh, in, in 2013, I was sitting on a plane and um, I sat next to a guy, which uh, in, in first class back then was was pretty common I had been upgraded and this gentleman who happened to be in our industry and much older than I um, decided to strike up a conversation. And uh, the first question he asked was where my husband was. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, that was uh, not one that I actually had ever, ever heard. So my background's in actually journalism and communications, believe it or not, but I managed to land myself in two oil companies and um, in health and safety and uh, environment and operational risk. And so um, at the time I was working for BP, I had just left uh, an executive board meeting um, where we had presented um, uh, a bunch of things and I was headed back to Houston and uh, I had you know, worked in the field, never, ever, ever had a man treat me anything other than the very best, but you know, where's your husband? And I'm like, you know, he's at home with our daughter <laughs> as if it wasn't 2013. And um, he had to have this conversation and I thought this is so strange. And so before you know it, he asked me, what's a pretty young lady like you doing in a dark, dangerous business like oil and gas. Um, and to be honest with you, Chuck, it wasn't so much the pretty young lady thing, because I'm pretty, I don't know that I'm young anymore, although I'm 45, so I'm technically still young. Um, you know, being a sweet Louisiana gal, you don't talk back to your elders. So I kept my mouth shut, but the the dark, dangerous part got me really um, whipped because I, I thought to myself, you know, the outside world sees us as dark and dangerous. Right. But here's the guy in the industry. Um, you know, creating the narrative. And I thought to myself, I'm going to fix this. I'm just, I'm going to fix this. So it took me a while to get the nerve and, you know, I had to form the idea, but the big, the big thing was we need to socialize what we do better. And these two things, um, being a pretty young lady and, you know, dark and dangerous in my mind lived on married index. Um, the world needs more, uh, uh, people in our industry, different kinds of people, not just pink. Okay. 
Um, but people also need to understand what we do fundamentally. And um, after being on rigs uh, all over the world and after seeing um, incidences and oil spills and dealing with catastrophes and seeing the, you know, the dark side, right? I said to myself, but there's great stuff too. I mean, I've walked under the earth in a tension leg platform, right? It is right. amazing. You know, I'd call my father, who's also a former oil and gas guy. So I'm second generation. And I said, this is amazing. Like man made this, you know, but nobody really understands how it gets from the ground, you know, to the burner tip. And so I've always been fascinated with telling the story of what we do. Um, but we do screw up a lot, right? We've screwed up less, I think, with time. We've gotten better at safety. We've gotten right. better at reliability. And we've gotten better at environment. But um, anyway, I, 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 I said, I'm going to fix this. So I left BP. Um, it took me a couple of years to get the nerve to, to leave the chair because, as you know, the industry pays very well. Um, but I, I, I found these cocktail napkins. So I left out the part where I got drunk, you know, came up with these ideas because I, I was just, all great ideas start there. So, well, yeah. I know. And that's, what's crazy is I just, I thought to myself, and this was, you know, this was a long time ago. This was 2013. This was pre a lot. I mean, think about it, it seven years. Um, and, and a lot has happened in seven years. Um, and so I left you know, thinking, what am I going to do? And I, I found this, you know, I was cleaning up my bag and I found these napkins and I said, let me talk about these ideas. So I talked about them with a friend at Halliburton and we had done some things in industry, some, you know, some diversity like things, you know, and she said, this is the best idea. Pink Petra. I love it. I want to be your first customer. Here's $20,000. And I said, for what? <laughs> and she said, go, go create it go make it. And I said, I'm not sure that. And she said, no, no, I think you know how to make it. And so the whole, the whole goal was to create a channel, you know, go create a social media channel. Well, what does that look like? Well, I didn't know what that meant. You know, I'd heard beta testing. I'd heard everything that everything, right. all the terms, right. You know, so I just started, believe it or not, I started a Twitter, a Twitter account. And we just started curating content because I was doing what I guess everybody else was doing, right? And um, and so before you knew it, you know, I'm getting phone calls. And then um, my former employer, Shell, called and said, well, we want to be in this, this too. And the media had gotten word of it, you know, Pink Petro. And, and before you know it, they're like, so when are you going to launch this thing? And I'm like, it's the end of 2014 kid you not, December 30th was when we got our LLC. And I said, um, International Women's Day 2015, which was 60-ish, 90-ish days, right? Right. And so I had to throw together a proof of concept by then. And while all of the world is coming to an end, I mean, at this point, you know, oil was on its way down. Everybody was, the world was coming to an end. You, you and, are preaching to the choir because I remember Thanksgiving Day sitting there watching the Dallas Cowboys. And normally my Dallas Cowboys losing on Thanksgiving Day was the thing that sucked about Thanksgiving. Right. That day it was $12 down on oil. Yeah. Right. And if you remember, it was like, 
the world's coming to an end, you know, everybody's, and you know how it is in industry after, well, pretty much after Halloween, everybody, at least in the corporate life, everybody settles down and, you know, they get comfortable, they get their favorite bourbon or whatever, or they drink over the holidays, you know, and then usually they, you know, things pick up in the first couple of weeks in January. And I remember hearing it, it was like, okay, the riffings are coming, you know, and here I am going, let's start a, a social media company that's going to get more women in industry. They all thought I was nuts, right? Right. And um, so everybody thought I was crazy. But, you know, we managed to get, I don't know, a few thousand people to get on this list, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, I'm scared, right? If I'm, a, if I'm somebody in the industry, I have to look for a job, right? I have to be relevant. I have to you know, I have to be out there. I have to, I have to put myself out there. I have to, I have to hustle for the next job. It's so it was the timing. Check. So, so what's going on there? So like, here we are at this point, it's, I'm going to create a website. I'm going to put up content. I'm going to sell advertising dollars. What do you think? Yeah, no. So this is funny. So I go home by the way, because <laughs> I had quit BP. I took a package. Right. And I told my husband, who's also in industry, and he's like, okay, you got a year, you know, do whatever <laughs> you want to do. Right. Right. And so, so the media covers this in, and then, you know, I remember we went to some, I don't know, she, she, fall, fall type event. Right. And he, <laughs> he looks next to me and uh, he's like, this is my wife. And she, she runs pink Petro. And, oh, big Petro. Yes. We read about that in the business journal. And uh, he kind of looks at me and later in the car, I'm like, yeah, that, that website. Cause it, he, he didn't know what to, to make of it either. Right. And, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't know either. I just knew that if you, if you create compelling content, like we are right now, Chuck, cause you have an awesome podcast and number 10 is going to be the best podcast there you go. ever. I, right? I appreciate that. Yes. But, but Chuck, if you create something that people want, to engage with, you build an audience and obviously that audience will want more. You create, you know, um, people connect. And I wasn't focused on revenue. I was like, just focus on what the market wants and then think about what you think they need before they need it, which I know is a little clairvoyant. But I said to myself, look, the industry has been talking about female talent for years. The women's movement is huge. Right. Um, so I was looking at macro trends. I mean, you understand this stuff that you're a finance guy. You, know, you look at macro trends, you go, okay, what are some of the big trends? Well, you look at finance trends. I look at social trends. And so I went, what are all these? Well, the social trends are the climate change message was getting louder. Okay. Louder. And the messages around females in the workforce, period, were getting louder. Well, I started looking at data. Yeah, the data was bad. I mean, women in the energy industry, period. And by the way, not just oil and gas, but in utilities and renewables, lowest, lowest, okay, number of, of uh, lowest numbers on the, on the charts when it comes to entrance and uh, middle and your, your, um, 
your senior executives. Right. And, and people, people ask me why. And I'm like, because it's not tangible. Nobody knows what it is. It, it's a raw good that creates experiences, right? That you and I and everybody else enjoys. At any rate. Hold on. Let me, I, let me, let me jump in here just a second. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so we're, we're hanging out, let's call it the middle of 2015. We're focused on content. And again, you know, don't want to get too personal on this, but like, are you cutting checks to run this, uh, run this website? Sure, are you sure. Sell, so, are you selling ads? I'm no, kind of like, I'm kind no, of like I'm not. The, the entrepreneur here is no, sitting I'm there not. saying, no, how, are point, you, how are you no, financing you're this? Asking, no, yeah, no, it's a great yeah. question. Okay, it's a, it's a really good question. No, I, 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 of course, I put money of my own in and put a hundred grand into this, right? Right. Okay. I had matching, you know, funds from, from Shell. So Shell and Halliburton gave me $20,000 each. Um, and I said, okay, um, I'm going to, to do individual memberships. I'm going to set up a social platform and I'm going to sell individual memberships and we'll do some online events. And that was the other thing that everybody thought uh, was crazy. And I say that at the end of 2020, smiling. Um, Because six years ago, it was crazy. And today it's, you know, it's here. But um, in, in 2015, okay, I have no qualms saying this. So we had corporate support. We had the 40,000, right? In addition to that, we did some events and we also did um, our, um, um, we had our uh, individual memberships and I was really, really focused on making it very expensive for finance people and lawyers and professional services people to join. So it was like 500 bucks a year. You'd come to the site. There was nothing on the front of it. Right. But there was all this stuff on, you know, the backside of it. It was behind the firewall. Totally. Okay. I mean, this was them trusting (laughs) Katie Maynard and who the hell was she? Um, And, um, and, and I got to tell you the most interesting thing in this is, Somehow, by the end of 2015, we made $180,000 in revenue. Now, that's that's really cool to hear because, you know, it's interesting as I sit here with this podcast and, you know, at the end of the day, I love to hear myself speak. So, you know, kudos for me for getting to sit around and host things like this. But, you know, you think about, well, how do I make money? How do I sell advertising? Is it advertising? Do you put it behind a firewall and make people pay and all? So I actually am really fascinated about hearing you go through this. What are you doing? And so a question I'd kind of follow up on from 2015 is, you know, when somebody cuts you that $20,000 check, what do they think they're getting? Is that so, advertising dollars? What is it? Because I get the, I get the five hundred. Let's talk about this. Yeah, no, I get the five hundred dollars. Yep. There's yep. content here. I'm gonna go get. Yep. What's the What's the ad dollar? What do they think they're getting? So, so one of the things that we did is I said I don't want ads because I remember 
I just remember you open up a website and, and I'm going to pick a little bit on rig zone only cause, or, or any of the sites, you just go to these job sites or just any sites. And actually as a communications person. So my, my major was advertising and that was what I went to school for. I went to OSU and, and we were taught ads, ads. And you see, to me, if you've got something to say or something to sell, I'd rather you teach me and tell me more why you matter and build trust, you know, with me. And then if you've got something to sell me, then I'm interested. And so what we did was we did content marketing and content marketing back then was still kind of getting, you know, getting, gaining traction. And so a lot of what we did was we were really, we nicely branded things. You know, we did subtle branding, but we did, we didn't do a lot of here's a bunch of stuff to sell. And I remember people would call me and say, I would love for you to put my product on your site. And I'm like, and do you understand uh, my audience? And they're like, well, it's the oil industry, of course, and they all have money. And I'm like, (laughs) except that I know my audience, you don't know my audience. So a lot of what I did was I was really picky about who I worked with. Right. And I kind of got the reputation for telling a lot of people no very nicely. And I think that that really helped us early on. Um, people, and then I asked my customers, right? I asked my audience, what do you care about? What kind of content do you want? Right. So the events were sponsored, right? Right. And so those were branded, but I was very, very specific because I had been that woman that had gone to every single lunch in the world, sat with 10 other people and been the only person from an operator in the room and sat around the room with bankers and lawyers and professional services people trying to sell me equipment or whatever. And I said, there's no solicitation here. If you start with your why and why the hell I should care to even have five minutes of a conversation with you, then all of a sudden you're going to build a trusted relationship right with me. And I'm going to want to know more about what you do. So I started just relentlessly saying, build great content and build a sense of intimacy. Try to do that online. Right. And, um, and connect people in a, you know, in a different way. And like I said, don't focus on the money, even though everyone's like, how are you going to make money? And I'm like, we're going to make money because if we focus on what the customer is and we're a couple ahead, a steps ahead, and we give them a, you know, a little bit, give them a little bit, and we're constantly measuring what they want. And we're looking at those macro social trends, right? Um, we're going to be successful. So, so what is quote unquote, the branding you've been talking about? at that point, meaning what the customers want and all that. And then number two, walk me through what is the filter that you're looking at that branding through that would cause you to say no to dollars, you know? Because I find that really fascinating because that is like that is like the age-old entrepreneurial discussion. I mean, you can go back to the founding of the Republic and the editorial section of the New York Post said this and JW Advertising Company 
refuse to advertise anymore with the uh, with the newspaper. So we've been having that discussion literally the whole time the United States has been around. So, you know, what were you trying to brand? What was the content and how were you navigating the yeses or no on dollars? Well, in the early days, a lot of what I found is that the fact we were digital and we weren't just local, um, meaning, you know, so the biggest challenge I had in the beginning was pink Petro was seen as a, and, and again, I know it's pink and Petro and I chose a very provocative name and there was a purpose to that. I wanted right. to give, I wanted to give the world something to talk about. Like let's shine a light on an amazing industry and freaking awesome women and men that are doing great things. In fact, I used to be a part of some women's groups. I won't get into all of them. Right. Um, you know, I used to write checks to these organizations. I used to be involved in them. When I first launched, they all were not all of them, but some you know, kicked me out, you know, because I wanted to go digital. I remember walking in and telling them we needed to be digital. You want to be, you want to be, you want to be something bigger than yourself. We ought, we need to be putting our voices out there, right? We need to be talking about what our industry does. And I was branded, you know, crazy. So I decided that social would make us more valuable because we'd be connected, connecting ourselves to the bigger macro trend, right? The macro trend was the women's movement was fueling, right? It was getting bigger. Now think about it though. The climate change trend was getting bigger too. Now there's something interesting about that though, because (laughs) If you look at our industry, and I saw something the other day, you know, just not too long ago, where some guy was real upset about the new Superwoman movie. Oh, and there's this character, and it's you know the evil, you know the evil guy in the in the in the right. you know in the movie Wonder, is the Wonder oil. Woman eighty four, yeah, yeah, and and the evil guy is the oil man. And I'm here to tell you something. I'm skipping ahead in the story, but I'm, I'm telling it for a reason. In 2019, I was scared to death. I got asked to go to Congress to testify in front of a Democratic, okay, um, swing swung house about the clean energy workforce of the future. I was the only person from the fossil fuel industry. I was asked to go. I could, I didn't know what to do because my kid and all this. So I took my kid with me, okay, my daughter Allie. And I'm telling you, there's something about a woman and her daughter that simply diffuses ideology. I was able to have a conversation that was intelligent, that was articulate, and there were no tomatoes thrown at me, right, about big, bad oil. So there's something about the feminine, right? And I don't mean, don't get all crazy environmentalist on me because I'm not, you know, (laughs) right? actually, I believe actually in, in, in the fact that we need everybody, you know, in this conversation, but I bring this up because I think that women bring a unique perspective and they bring a, an element to the story of oil and gas that we're not hearing, that we're not seeing. I mean, look at who speaks at conferences. Now that's changing. And guess who's been influencing that? I mean, so 2016, Oil sank to how much? Yeah, we were twenty something, right? Yeah, I think. Remember? I think we signed the uh, PSA on the uh, Silver Hill deal when oil hit twenty seven, and I've never been more scared in my life. Okay, yeah. Let me tell you something. When oil hit twenty six or whatever it was, 
okay, we decided to have an online conference. Ask me how many people filled into the Halliburton campus to watch in person. 300. Ask me how many watched online. 2,600. 2,600 people watched, okay, in 2016. And this is because people were hungry for connection. And when people are hungry for connection and they're hungry for information, they will do whatever they need to do, kind of like during lockdown. During lockdown, we did daily events with hundreds of people, okay? So my point is, it's like everybody's like, what's the magic? What's the magic? My, I tell people the magic is knowing the audience and understanding the story you're telling it and making sure you have diverse voices in the story. So I'm going to skip ahead because 2017 is really interesting. 2017, um, and by the way, uh, 2016, uh, we, our revenues were 256. Okay, so don't ask me how that happened. It's just we the movement group. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and and hold on. While we're there on 256, are those ad dollars just on the website? No, that was this this was membership and events. Okay, you okay. gotta understand at this point, we're hitting the bottom, okay, as everybody thinks. Woohoo, right? The bottom. Although we know that the bottom, oh, we got the bottom this year. Bottom schbottom. We got something right. coming. Yeah, now, exactly. Bigger macro trends. Okay, think about it. Who gets elected in 2016? Right. Okay. So think macro trends. So the women's movement is really starting to heat up among other things. Okay. And so at this point we hadn't even put jobs into the mix. So I'll tell about jobs. So Halliburton comes to me in 2016 and I got to tell you something, the folks at Halliburton and Shell are brilliant. These two companies were, were pioneers in this. Okay. And so was KPMG. KPMG came in, um, in 2016 and said, we're in, okay. And they were in big time. They, they, they were really, really, and that was when I said, okay, it's time to let some of the service providers and, you know, whatnot in, cause I really wanted an operator, you know, and a service provider to be there to guide me through this, because that was the other thing. I wasn't creating this on my own. I was getting feedback from them. Like how, what should we be, what should we do? Should we, you know, should we tweak this? Should we do that? And so one of the things we did in 2016 is we said, Let's start a council. The council is going to be, let's bring all these companies together. We need to do something about the workforce of the future. Okay. It's not just females, but we got young people that, you know, we're, we're trying to reach. We've got all kinds of different people. Right. So by the way, by the time 2016 got here, my brand was irrelevant. And I knew that Pink Petro was irrelevant when I launched. Okay. I knew that as an entrepreneur, I said, this is going to run its course. Because we already knew, remember macro trends, well, the female movement is big. Uh, the, the, the climate change movement was never, I mean, I was, the Petro name was, was never going to, right? That was, <laughs> it was just, that was a, that was going to be a, okay, at some point we'll run that, that course. But 2016 for me was a big shift because I said, look, I'm going to help the industry try and message this story to the outside world. But we're also going to internally figure out what's broken around our culture. Why don't we have enough young people? Why don't we have enough women? Why don't we have enough? And so can I create a space with these companies, right? Can I broker some HR service here? So that's what being a member, a corporate member means, right? It's about getting the HR teams together, having them share because 
you know, we're not, we're kind of like silos, right, Chuck? We're not exactly, at least the old world, we didn't do a lot of sharing when it came to talent because talent was your weapon, right? right? You can't do that anymore. The talent, the talent is going to tech, man. The talent is going to, is going to healthcare. I see it. I see the numbers. I watch it. And it's been doing that for a while. And we are going to be woefully short. So that's where the entrepreneur, Katie, says, jobs is going to be huge for this, okay? But I've got to stay patient. I've got to wait for when that, you know, when, when the industry is ready. Well, that's when Halliburton goes, when oil is sunk to the ground, go build the job site. And I said, with what money? I'm like, <laughs> I said, you don't have any jobs. Well, go build it because you got to work the kinks out. So they gave me some money to go build that, right? This now, will what, be is that? What, is, what is the jobs? Okay, so up until this point, you're creating content. You got members paying. Yep. You got some ad dollars that yep. I kind of understand. Content, yes. Con content. Don't call it ads. That's just like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. I'm, a, you know, right. I'm, I'm old school. I'm way okay, old, old school. I'm, I'm way older than you. But uh, okay. So, so now it's, we're going to the job site. Walk me through the business model. How do dollars change hands there? Well, so it's a subscription model, right? Okay. So they just said, here, go, go create it. And I was like, all right. So I must've played around uh, the tech, the tech that I've purchased, the tech that I've tried to create the, the minimum viable product. I mean, we could do a whole podcast. On I that, know. Sure. I That's, mean, but anyway, yeah, right. long way of saying we started to grow that revenue line. And so what's what's fascinating about that is that actually started to grow because guess what? People want diverse talent. So what does that what does that mean? So if I subscribed at that point, I'm paying X dollars and I get to see all these candidates that maybe I could hire. No, actually companies don't want to see the candidates. Companies just want the eyeballs on their site because companies have their own, big companies have their own applicant talent tracking systems. So here's what you got to understand. At this point, I've built great content that's right. attracting eyeballs. Now I'm embedding jobs that will attract content or attract candidates, right, to their sites to apply. And we can track that, right? So, so, so all of a sudden- I was I'm gonna say, saying, dummy that down for the me. That means XYZ company says, I need a reservoir engineer and they just wanna be able to post so that your eyeballs can see it. Is that yes. what that is? Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. And and here's, here's, here's another big macro trend, okay? And this is why I say ads make me cringe. Right. So I've watched tech. I've watched tech. I've watched tech. I've watched tech. And I've become friends with a lot of them. I know a lot of the executives at the major tech companies. Um, and I've watched the privacy issues over the last five, six years. I've watched the features. I've watched the product evolve. You know, the big macro trend that I've watched as well was okay, so the ad model is you're the product. And that was the other reason why I never wanted to make the site free. Okay. Right. Because free means all of these weird, funny, I have to make money models. Right. And so I've always wanted it to be a pure, like, I'm not going to serve up some crazy ad because you said something and Alexa picked it up and the phone picked it up and creepily, I'm trying to figure out what 
next thing you need to know. Right. And so, um, I chose to go the route of you pay and I don't bother you. Okay. With a lot of crap in your inbox or pop-ups and things like that. So that was the other thing that I think uh, stopped me. The other thing that I noticed too, was the other kind of macro trend in tech I picked up on and in social was LinkedIn was becoming ubiquitous and um, loud. I was actually many years ago, another seed that germinated um, Pink Petro is I got early access to not just um, the blog feature on their product in 2000, I think 13 or 12, but in 2017 or 18, when they started doing, I guess it was video. I don't remember when it was, but I noticed when all of us that had, you know, high quality content, the blogs and the content were great. And then they opened the product to everybody and it just ended up being God, every like just so much content, right? So much content. It wasn't the greatest content. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, everything on LinkedIn is free. You can pay to be premium, but what does that really get you? I'm not sure. Um, You know, Microsoft bought LinkedIn. LinkedIn has, I don't know, when they bought it, it was like 1% of the population of people are premium members, right? And everybody else is a free member. I I don't have a lot of free members, you know? Now, Ally is going to- Hold on, hold on. Katie, let yeah. me cut you off because as kind of the neutral observer sitting, yeah. uh, sitting here on Twitter, watching watching you, watching Energy Finance Twitter interact and stuff, I think this is interesting in that it's very underappreciated that your audience base is in effect opt-in, right? I mean, they got to pay oh, yeah. if they want to see it. And number two your advertisers, and I hate to use that word because you just chastised me. And that's fair. Clients. Clients. (laughs) Your clients know that it's opt-in. You know, they know that's the model they, so I, I, I think that's, I think this has been really interesting because I think that's underappreciated out there, you know? Well, and I mean, when you're a busy entrepreneur crushing it, you don't have time to explain it. By the way, my marketing sucked for years because I couldn't keep up with, with the volume and, and, you know, things really got interesting because, you know, when we started the job site, that was huge. Um, And then in 2017, life got really horrible because, you know, Hurricane Harvey came and took the, took the house and took the business, the business was fine, but it was underwater forever. So I couldn't get in and get my stuff out. Um, and it personally, it, it rocked my confidence. It kind of, you know, put me in a really funky place. Um, but by the way, <laughs> okay. 2017 micro trends, macro trends, Harvey number one happens. Oh, we'll just call that climate change, by the way, Harvey number two happens. Harvey Weinstein, the Me Too thing breaks four weeks, six weeks after Harvey number one. I'm literally, I have no employees at this point because everybody has walked away thinking I'm going to abandon the business. And don't you uh, believe that I didn't think about it because it was one of those like, I could just tell everybody that like Harvey took it, right? And that would be believable. But I, um, I started, the phone started ringing 
we don't know what you do, but we know we really need to like work with you. And that's when I went, okay, now everybody thinks I'm the anti-sexual harassment um, lady, right? Right. (laughs) So so that got sticky, right? I'm the ombuds, you know? And so, of course, my little entrepreneur brain's going, okay, I have to figure this one out because, boy, I'm sure there's a lot of me too. There's a ton of me too. By the way, there's a ton of me too in our industry. There's a ton of me too in every industry, but- all of a sudden, every woman that wants to talk, because I'm out there saying, you know, put your voice out there and write all of this. Well, you know what? You know, what's interesting is literally the first time you and I talked, because um, I called you one day, um, you know, I mean, look, I'm a 13 year old boy. I giggle at dirty jokes. I mean, you know, right. that that's just kind of who I am. I'm the oldest of four boys and all that. And my moment is I've got three kids, two of them are daughters. And my moment where I went, oh, shit, what are you doing? Was my daughter, Sarah, my middle child, she will run the world one day. Now, whether it's for good or for evil, I think the jury's still out. But she will take over the world. And when she was nine years old, she asked me one day, Daddy, can I be a landman when I grow up? And I sat there for 20 minutes and I went, you know, a landman goes out, talks to Farmer Bob, they cut a deal. You need to have economics in the back of your mind. And, you know, I said all this for 20 minutes. And at the end of 20 minutes, she said, no, daddy, the title says man. Does that mean I can't be one? And I was like going, oh, my God, this little nine-year-old girl who I've been convinced since the moment she was born literally could run the world was sitting there going, can I even do this job because it says man, you know, you know, and it it, it was a, it was an eye opener for me because I had no idea the messaging out there in the world was as much as it was. I mean, I thought, you know, it's Harvey Weinstein. He's a bad dude. That's the stuff we need to worry about. And I'm actually, and I don't even, I don't want to say this and be misunderstood, but I almost think it's equally as bad the landman. Now, landman stands for land manager. It's actually doesn't mean man. It means right. land manager. But I mean, just the subtle messaging of land man and the effect it had on Sarah Yates, who literally is the most dynamic person on the planet, was kind of shocking. That was the eye opener to me. And that was. Like when we, you and I talked for the first time, I was like going, man, I have no idea, Katie. I really don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm missing this. So please, if I miss stuff. So no, and it's okay. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. And I talk about it in my book. I've been misunderstood my entire life. I've been called crazy. I've been, um, but, but, you know, you get used to that when you're, when you're, I'm just going to say it, I'm rare and I'm okay with it. Um, and, and I, um, and I, I, I just had, had a passion to fix a problem. You know, I had a passion to, to do something different. And the thing is, is kids, I think we're programmed to, to think we're supposed to be certain things. And I don't think that's, I just don't think that's right. I don't think that either gender 
I, I mean, I, I look at nurses, I've seen male nurses. I mean, I've seen male, you know, male chiefs of staff, I, you know, paralegals. I, I, they're, I think we need to remove all of that and just say, what do you want to be and be it? You know, my father, I have a very strong father. I love my dad and he thankfully is still with me. And he always taught me, and I was raised in a very conservative home. You go out there and you work your ass off and there are no handouts, kid. And, you know, you be what you can be. But I will, I will remember when I was in the 80s. I watched my father and he told me, he said, you can't get in the oil and gas industry. I don't want you to get into engineering. And it was because he wanted to protect me because in the 1980s, what happened? Everybody lost their jobs. You know, it was like, you're going to be a lawyer or a fisherman because you could, that was all that was, you know, anybody was making money at, you know, in, in, in the eighties in Louisiana. But, you know, I went in and I didn't think I could be an engineer. And well, you know, thought, it's, I mean, it's really interesting you say that. I'm sorry I just cut you off, but that's okay. I've so I've had my kids the last two weeks, and my daughter Sarah is now 15. Phenomenally blunt. I talked on the Christmas episode about just how I get these sarcastic remarks daily that like five percent of me mad about, ninety five percent of me is going, "Oh my god, this is brilliant. My loins produce this. This is yes. awesome, right?" But you know what's interesting? I had this discussion with my daughters this weekend, and it was, you know, I mean, I sat there and I said, look, you know, one of the things I've noticed, because we were talking in the context of New Year's resolutions, and I said, New Year's resolution that I'm going to have for y'all two, my two daughters, and I want y'all to appreciate where this comes from, is I'm going to be harder on y'all. And the reason I want y'all to understand the context to it is your brother, Charlie, I literally have no hesitation his whole life when Charlie does something of looking at Charlie and saying, you idiot, what are you doing? Stop that, you know, or that's really stupid. And my whole life of raising y'all two as your daughters, as my daughters, I've never said to y'all, oh my God, that's so stupid. I'm always like, hey guys, what if we did it this way? And we explained it, you know, or what if we did this? And I feel like I've been too soft on my daughters because I actually care so much about them. Just what your dad said. Your dad said, I don't want you to go do that. I'm trying to protect you. I don't want you to be in oil and gas. And it's interesting because I think by doing that, by being so protective of my daughters, and it's because I love them to death. I mean, they're the two most wonderful people on the world, on the planet. By protecting them, I'm not sure I'm preparing them for going into life and dealing with all the stuff you you have to do. And so I've been actually thinking a lot about this over the last, you know, whatever, three or four months, kind of going, how do you navigate that between loving these people, caring about these people, but at the same time, they need to know that they can go to a job and their boss can say, this really sucks and tears it up. And they don't get mortified by that. You know? Well, and you know what though? It's funny because even though my dad wanted to protect me back then, I remember I was fired once it's only happened once. And, um, I've been laid off a bunch and I remember calling him and the first time I got laid off, I was devastated. Of course, cry like a baby. Right. You know, but I was lucky it happened the first job out of college 
and, um, and I called and, and I, I didn't want to, it's the, it's the stories in my book, but I basically said, you know, I'm not calling him. I don't want him to feel sorry for me. Right. I don't right. want him, I don't want him offering money and all that. And of course, the first thing he did, right. Was to say, can I send you a thousand dollars or can I, you know, and I, and I was right. like, no, you know, no, and, and I totally get that on your dad's part. And it was not, I mean, defending your dad, it was not misogynistic. It was like, oh, my God, this is the person I care most about on the planet. What can I do for him? Because at the end of the day, the 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 core sense of self-worth for a man is being able to fix things. And so he doesn't he doesn't hear I got laid off and oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm empathetic. He's like, oh, my God, how do I fix this? And a check is what fixes that, at least in his No, mind. well, and that made him feel better. And then, you know, I paid him back. And th- I will tell you, the other thing is when I called him, um, when I got fired, he uh, actually, when I got laid off, I, I got real smart about figuring out how layoffs manifest and started being able to see them come. So I was smart to know when I needed to, you know, to to make my, my, my run for the door. But the, but the firing was, you know, I got hired by this, I got hired by Academy. I don't even mind saying it. Academy sports and outdoors. They wanted me to come in and reinvent their it systems. And they were all dinosaurs and I'll never forget. I kicked some serious, butt. I was the change maker. Well, they weren't ready for all that. And so they gave me a 90 day notice, kicked me out. Um, after, by the way, I mean, this was like 2002, I had some guy in the organization give me a, he sent an inappropriate email. It's all in the book. And, um, and he, <laughs> they come upstairs, they bring me upstairs, they fire me. I, I run outside. I'm totally fine. until I get to the car and I call my dad, dad, dad. And he's like, what happened? And I'm like, I got fired. And he goes, well, you've been laid off. You got fired. Now you can put seasoned on your resume. And I was just, <laughs> you know, I just, but he was always good, you know, for that. Like he was always there when he needed to be. And he taught me that, you know, he taught me that, but I got to tell you, it's, it's hard because as I've become, um, you know, I, after I left corporate, it, it's different, you know, when you're on your own and you're, you're an entrepreneur, it's, uh, the waters, you don't have an ergonomic specialist to fix your chair. You don't have a health department. You don't have a IT services desk. You know, you don't have a finance function. It's on you. I mean, I've every bit of this business the last six years I've built and rebuilt. And even in spite of rebuilding my house, I mean, 2017 was the craziest freaking year. I literally live between two houses um, and by the way, and this is, I'll never forget, um, you know, you guys are smart. I can't believe you didn't have insurance, right? It's like, how do you have insurance in a house that you were told when you bought the house, you didn't need insurance, right? Right. So we didn't buy insurance. Oh, well, everybody buys insurance. Well, of course we have insurance, you know, now, but who knew, you know, this, you know, this crazy event's going to happen, but we'll just call 2017. We went from. In 2016, we went from $256,000 to $371,000. And that, I didn't work eight weeks out of that year. Right? Yeah. No. That and- was crazy. That was craziest year ever. 
Yeah, no, it was, uh, no, that was an interesting mess. You know, I, I was so blessed through that because, um, weird thing. I live in Richmond, Texas. The guy that built my house in 1897, Judge Pearson, hated having wagon tracks in front of the house. So when you drive down Highway 90 that turns into Jackson Street when you get into Richmond and you turn left to get in onto 9th Street to get to my house, it actually rises about six feet. You won't notice it except for the fact I told you. So it rises six feet. And then when you're in front of my house on the street, and you actually look up at my house, it's about another seven to eight feet higher because yeah. Judge Pearson did not want mud in front of his house. So he wanted all the water draining off. So when a wagon pulled up, it would not leave tracks. So what's interesting about that is 2000, you know, during Hurricane Harvey, literally my inconvenience was my direct TV went out for about 12 minutes. Wow. You know, and uh, and it's crazy because you actually I've got video next time we it, when we get together, we grab lunch or something. I'll show you the video. Literally, you go across the train tracks half a mile from my house and it looks like Lake Michigan. I mean, uh, it's uh, yeah, it just it's it's crazy. So. So you're going through that year. Revenues still go up. Here's a, here's what I think is kind of like the the interesting thing that I'd love to get your take on in terms of what you were navigating. And this is a revenue versus all that. And this is, like I said, the age old question everybody has always had to do. I mean, you can take it from newspapers at the founding of the Republic. Who do we take ad dollars from? You can take it to IBM deciding whether they want to do business in South Africa and all that. How do you navigate in your mind, given what your mission is? Um, and I'll just throw out some things uh, that we can kind of think through, talk through is like, you know, you've had misogynistic issues happen at various companies. I, I don't know the guy at Noble, the general counsel. Uh, I think his name's Arnold Johnson. But, you know, I mean, that was a bad thing. I mean, you know, maybe he's innocent. I don't know him. I don't know the details of it. But, I mean, taking up skirt photos when somebody comes into your office, that's just a bad thing. You know, you've got Anna Darko having, you know, the reservoir engineer that, and again, I don't know details. I'm not very close to it. This is just what I read uh, kind of online, who maybe misogyny played a, a part in terms of reserve estimates and all that. How do you navigate that sitting in your seat, being an entrepreneur? I need revenue or I can't keep the lights on. I can't pay my people versus what are the services I'm actually providing to these folks, given my opt-in revenue model and the like? It's so interesting, like just hearing where you're going with this. So let's take a step back. Okay. Yep. My job in corporate was, um, was culture was safety culture and, um, from an kind of an HR and an ops blend. All right. And so my job was to go in and try to help fix, um, bad apples. Right. So go look right. at 
where we weren't performing well when it came from a safety perspective. And let me tell you, when you have safety issues in an organization, you generally have environmental issues and you generally have financial issues and you generally have issues in, in general because it comes back to leadership. Right. Okay. And so, and you're going to love this part because this will feed very nicely into when we talk about ally, but um, which I think is something that, that, that um, you and, and, and the EFT community will, will, will appreciate. Um, you know, uh, when the Me Too thing happened, I got a lot of calls. Oh my God. It, all of a sudden I became the go-to source for the media because none of the organizations want to talk about it, right? So the first thing I oh, did, yeah. actually, old, old, old white guys are scared to hell to answer. Well, no, 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 no. And then, I, and then so you can imagine, well, and so you can imagine there's, there's two ways to look at that in one way. It's an opportunity for me because it's an opportunity for me to, to call and say, hello, this is who I am. And, and clearly you, you have some problems, right. And, and right. um, h- how can I, um, how could I help you? Right. But but I'm not st- I wasn't staffed or resourced to, to 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 do anything about those things, right? So that's not something that I look to um, to address in my business today, okay? Um, but I will say this, um, and then on the other side of it, the number of women, and by the way, men, um, or or uh, what I would say, and you know, anybody who well, actually, most people who who've contacted me have contacted me, um, confidentially have said, Hey, this is, I mean, I know who they are, but they've approached me trusting me saying, Hey, I'd like to have a cup of coffee. And generally that, you know, means I need to tell you something that, you know, I should probably tell a lawyer. And so I've, you know, I had to call my, you know, I've had to call my counsel or I've had to call other people or I've had to, you know, get advice on, okay, how do I handle this? Right. Because hello, I'm trying to run a company that, you know, is, is, looking at social trends, right? And I'm, you know, trying to address that with a service. And so, and so what I learned was, okay, I'm not equipped to handle that from a staff perspective. What I'm equipped to handle is say, is to say, okay, when I get calls from anybody, whether it's a customer who's who has somebody in their organization that's approached me, I can I can remind them of the process, you know, reach out to your HR person, right? You know, and that's something I've always said to anybody that calls me, have you used the process, okay? Because a lot of times, believe it or not, and I've told the press this, you know, the stuff that happens in the field doesn't get back to the corporate office. It's like the field and the office are completely disconnected. Um and processes are not always um clear, and I know when I was in a big company, um, it was not always necessarily, um, you know, if you were in a reorganization, you had people moving around, um, you may have vacancies and roles and things like that. So I, I've, I've, I've been really clear with, with the media and other people about how I, I, you know, I think it works, but I will tell you this. It's so funny. Cause like the Anna Darko story was reported, I think on in like 2006. 17 or 18 and it happened in 2015 right right people who had left a long time ago so a lot of times when i get calls from the media about things that have happened a long time ago i'm like well first of all i have no knowledge of these things secondly i get back to behaviors and values okay i believe every single company has a problem with this okay because at the end of the day 
We have people in companies that are abusing the system. We have men in the system that are abusing the problem or that that are problem. And we have women in the system. Okay. And, and I've said that I've said it to, to lots of people that, that call me about this topic. And so, and before, um, you know, race as a mega trend, you know, popped up and I said, you've got men, you've got women. Now we layer on race, right? It's a complicated system to be in human resources. The amount of social mega trends, big, 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 big trends today impacting corporations is huge. This is why I love being an entrepreneur. Because you know what? I I wouldn't want this job on the inside. I just, I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me enough, right? There are a lot of issues that they're dealing with and they're grappling with. And so one of the things Ally wants to do, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is we want to be able to resource that and help them think through those things, right? Think through how to fix those things. Think through how to screen, if we can, right, for talent to avoid potentially, right, for these kinds of behaviors. Um, But corporations didn't create this. Corporations have people who let things slide, right? Or leaders who say we have these values who don't necessarily are accountable, right? And so at the end of the day, though, I totally get the, okay, so, you know, you're the, you're pink Petro, you guys must be in the business of, you know, the me too. Nope, that's not our mission. Our mission, you know, was to elevate women in the industry and to help attract women into positions right in the industry and to help the industry think about how do we work together, right? Instead of going at it in our own respective ways, right? Um, competitors looking at, you know, how are we as an industry going to compete with talent outside of, outside of ourselves? Yeah, no, no, it's, no, it's really interesting. And, um, you know, I was, I made a post the other day on LinkedIn about my Tesla and electric vehicles. And um, I've given this speech over the last three or four years, because, you know, fundraising over the last five years, you always hear, oh, Tesla's going to take over and nobody's going to use oil in 2025, right? And I would get up there and I would say, hey, let's read some headlines from the New York Times. And I'd read, you know, electric vehicles poised to take over the world, electric vehicles, costs decreasing and all that. And then I'd run through all the stats and I've done this before, so I won't belabor it here. But, you know, there are 300 million internal combustion engines in the United States. How many of those are going to be on the road in 10 years? Probably all 300 million. We build really good cars these days. You know, nobody ever gets rid of their car because the internal combustion engine doesn't work anymore. They sell it and somebody else buys it. And, you know, I go through all the stats about how we sell 7 million cars a year and, you know, 6 million of them are $40,000 or less. And so electric electric vehicles will have to compete in that market. And even if they take 50% of the market, you know, 10 years from now, that means we've got 35 million electric vehicles running around and we've got 35 million more internal combustion engines and, you know we're still going to use a lot of oil. Right. And I would give that speech and I'd go through the whole thing about Boeing and Airbus. 
don't even have patents on electric planes. So not even prototypes they are about to be commercialized. They don't even have patents, right? You know, so I would go through all that. I'd get a polite pause at the end of the speech. I'd walk away from the podium. Then I'd come back and I'd say, oh, by the way, the headlines that I read to you, those were from 1917, 1918, and 1919. This truly isn't anything new, you know? So that was kind of my shtick when I did it. So I posted uh, something on LinkedIn the other day, and I was reading this article about it, you know, whatever, 4,200 cars were built in 1900, less than a thousand were internal combustion engines. The rest were divided between electric and steam type cars. But the really interesting point was the whole reason we have automobiles in the United States is because a bunch of rich kids wanted to get in a car in a car and drive 30 miles per hour because it was kind of a thrill. You know, it was a thrill seeking thing. And the interesting debate that was going on back then was these rich kids that had nothing else to do would go buy a car and they'd drive 30 miles per hour and they would drive through poor neighborhoods and inevitably they would hit somebody and kill someone or they'd oh wreck God. or they'd wreck into somebody's house and uh, and all that. And the interesting debate going on in newspapers at that point was this is really bad that these rich kids are doing this, that they're causing this animosity. But cars are causing so much attraction those were literally the biggest ad dollars back in the early 1900s. And Cosmo actually put up $5,000 to sponsor a mega race where it was from Manhattan out to Long Island. And mm-hmm. it was like 27 miles and whoever got there first won the prize and all that. So it's it's the long-winded story and I've probably spent way too much time telling it. But the whole thing is, you know, the debate you're going through in terms of what I can do versus what I should be accepting dollars for in terms of being a client and all, that's been going on forever. And that's not easy stuff to navigate. You no, know? it isn't. But I mean, particularly in the middle of, you know, some of the probably one of, the, you know, a, a in the middle of a a movement that that is pretty uh, provocative, right? And personal. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about things that quite frankly, we didn't talk about, right? So it was an interesting thing. But you know, we've and and, and I got to tell you that the nice thing about this is I, I it pushed me to get really educated about it, too. You know, we formed a partnership with a number of outs that pushed me to, you know, to look for outside groups that we um, you know, got to know better p- groups that that understood this and studied, you know, looked at the data because that's my thing is like, okay, give me the data, right? So um, lean in, you know, Cheryl Sandberg does a lot around um, women's empowerment and she started looking at, you know, the Me Too movement and um, sexual harassment. And so, so, but it was just wild because remember, you got to remember where I was. I was months after living in a, you know, an apartment going between two houses, rebuilding a house, trying to find, 
you know, um, a, a new office. We moved to a new office, um, literally showed up in my pajamas and a Mac um, and, you know, and started. And then in, in, in 2018, um, that was a killer year for us. Um, I got to tell you, you know, I know that um, the EFG do not like Bloomberg and um, I find Bloomberg, oh, they're edgy. But, you know, it's funny, there's, there's, there are a couple of times I've been in Bloomberg and I'm, I'm proud, proud of, of some of them. But in 2018, we uh, invited, um, we actually, actually, Sheryl Sandberg uh, appeared at our conference in 2018, which is in uh, March of every year. And that year, our numbers went through the roof online. And um, I, I will never forget, um, uh, our conference was happening the same week as the, the infamous uh, IHS Sarah week. And um, I received a call from a guy who proceeded to scream at me and my team and tell me that I needed to move my conference. And, um, you know, I couldn't attend any of their women's events and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I mean, we got into a, a tiff and, you know, I was nice. It was nice and, you know, pretty much hung the phone up on him and said, you know, we're not moving our conference. Um, we didn't move our conference, but it, because the media wanted to come to our conference and they wanted to cover, you know, the Sarah Week conference, we didn't want to move our conference because our conference was around when, uh, International Women's Day. And because we felt like women in energy needed to have a voice, you know, on social media around this, we proceeded. And so, of course, a story got, you know, published. <laughs> and in, unfortunately, it backfired on um, Sarah Week and a couple of industry groups because, um, you know, it went viral. You know, it went, why, why is there a man's conference and why is there a women's conference? And did you two try to partner? And, you know, I reached out several months prior and said, why, why can't we work together? You know, I, I think you guys have some pretty compelling content. And by the way, Chuck, I used to get to go to Sarah Week when I was in oil. So, um I can't afford to go anymore, but I've been right. So yeah, so, uh, if it makes you feel any better, I've never been invited. It's okay. It, yeah, that's it's not, okay. But that's not you know, surprising. Of, no, I know. But all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is embarrassing because the industry now, like the industry that has the black eye already does not need to be in the spotlight for an obvious problem, which is we have a diverse gender diversity problem. Right. So so then they start measuring every year, right? At Sarah Week, how many percentage of the people are, you know, are female um, speakers and male speakers? And um, and so we started the whole, you know, we had intentionally, so this gets back to content. When you intentionally put um, content that people want, where you really think about what your audience wants. So we had 85% females and people of color. We spent a lot of time on that and 15% men and it wasn't stuffy shirts. It was fun music and it was online. And by the way, in, in 2018, it was like, you're still crazy Maynard. Why are you doing this online? You're giving it away. No, we weren't giving away. In fact, all of our members, a part of their membership was they got to watch it online. So think about it. How have I grown at this point? I probably have, I don't know, 20 member companies, right? Right. Well, if they've pushed it out to their entire workforce. Now, by the way, 
most of the companies I deal with are pretty big. So they've pushed it out to, I don't know, tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of people. And their people join our platform. They get to enjoy and connect with our content. Now we have them on our platform, right? We're engaging with them. We're able to give them more of what they want. So, <laughs> so, so at this point, 75,000 is the number, right? Right. 75,000 people are watching this in some form or fashion. Okay. So, so we're in Bloomberg for, you know, essentially, um, you know, this conference is taking away from our conference and we don't want to work with that conference. Anyway, there, you can go read the story, but my knees were shaking, man. I was so nervous because, because I had no idea what they were going to print. I was like, Hey, you know, um, go ask them. I, I called them to see if they wanted to collaborate because I'm a collaborator. You know, I mean, when you're out in the wow, wow, West doing your own thing, you, you want to work with people. Right. And so anyway, we made Bloomberg that year. I made Bloomberg later that year because they were looking at boards, you know, and, and things like that. And I get calls and stuff, but that was a piece of controversy. But you know what? That year, as soon as we made <laughs> Bloomberg for that, the uh, Exxon calls me. We've never heard of Pink Petro, but we read about the story. <laughs> I said, well, okay. <laughs> and they said, well, we want to be a part of this. And so by the end of 2018, we were at um, $529,000. So we were at a half a million. Um, and let me tell you, the, the story gets really interesting. It doubled in 2019. And, and when, we, when we hit COVID uh, this year, the first quarter, that, first quarter this year, we, were, we made three quarters of that in our first quarter. So we've been on fire. Um, and it, the only way I can say it is that it just gets back to content, content and audience, and, and trying, trying to make sure that um, you make it easy for people, you know, to you make the product easier, you make the service offering easier. I'm not going to say I've done it all right. I'm, I haven't always been um, at my best, you know, it's, it's like anything else when you're a startup, it's insanity. Um, it's, it's hard. Uh, you work 70 or 80 hour weeks. Um, you sacrifice your health. Sometimes I've sacrificed my health a lot, but right. that's, that's changed. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I'm excited about, um, ally. I really am. Um, I've always wanted to shift the, uh, the brand. Um, it's always been a vision for me that this be all energy, um, because we need it all, um, with George Floyd and the black lives matter movement this year. Uh, I started looking at our data really hard at our metrics and saying who's in our audience. And interestingly enough, when you attract a diverse population, you, you tend to bring, you know, others along. And so I said, you know, we need to put a focus on that. And that's not something I'm, I know a lot about because, you know, I'm, I'm not a black American, but I'm going to start to intentionally uh, think through how I can be make that a part of our programming, right? Make that a part of um, of our community, and and we've done that, and and we need to, you know, we need to 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 pivot, and so um, it was time to to make the name change. I got you. The uh, and so today, kind of the model is still you have clients that sign up. 
Do you have, do you have individual members that sign up too? Like we Chuck- do, we do, we do. And I'll tell you what's interesting. So the last 18 months, we started getting phone calls from utilities and, and renewables. And of course the renewable folks are like, look, we really love what you're doing. Our people are really mm, the Petro. And I'm like, give me some time that's coming. And, but they, but they bought into it. Okay. So we, you know, our first solar company was Sonova energy. So they're right in our backyard and we love those guys. Um, and, and TPI composites, they're a, a wind turbine manufacturer, wind, wind, wind blades are a public company in Arizona and they, they've got manufacturing facilities all over the world. They're public. Right. Um, and, uh, and Calpine power and, um, you know, that's when I said, look, you know, I looked at everybody in the room and I said, so are we okay with the notion that all energy needs to come together? And they were all like, yeah, because we've, we all have a challenge, you know, with attracting talent and we need to do something about that. And there are several kind of, you know, micro trends we need to look at, you know, millennials and Gen Z's, women, veterans, right? Well, then the next thing you know, the Department of Energy is calling me saying, we'd like you to be an ambassador to our equity and energy um, initiative because we see this as a national priority. We've got to have a full workforce engaged here and we're going to be short on STEM talent. And I said, you better believe it we are because I have i didn't start a business. Honestly, I didn't start this. I, I, I started it because I cared. I, I, you heard me earlier. I, I wasn't right. focused on the revenue. Okay. So I sat down earlier this year cause I had the time and um, it just so happens. You guys will all love this, you know? Um, so David Solomon of, of Goldman Sachs, he, he went to, he made some sweeping statement about women on boards and, Oh, we're not going to take companies public until, you know, you got to have a certain number and I called him out in in Harvard Business Review, never thinking that I was going to get an email from him. Well, as the pandemic is unfolding, I get this email from David Solomon. And by the way, you know, when you run a social media company and you're out there and you're writing pieces and, you know, testifying before Congress, it, you get you get a fair amount of um, love, but you get some hate. And so I thought this was a joke. And so I wrote him back and I said, Sure, David, we can get together, you know, and then I realized, okay, it is the David. So we were going to get together, but then uh, the pandemic happened. Well, in the meantime, you know, um, I looked up Goldman Sachs and I noticed they had a small business program. So I looked into it. I said, man, this is great. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to apply for this. So I did, because I've always been afraid of numbers, to be honest with you, not because, um, you know, I, I, I don't mind numbers, but I've always been focused on the customer. Okay. It gets back to, I'm going to make money and I'm, I will figure that out, but let me focus on the customer. If you give the customer what he wants, you'll make money. And so, um, I went through the program and what I learned very quickly was, wow, actually I do understand numbers. This is not that hard. Um, I didn't have to get an MBA and um, I don't have to be afraid of ratios and all this stuff. And so in 12 weeks, I did a massive growth plan for the business. 
And I was able to think through the next five years and really think through the next 10 years. And I'm going to just say it. I've got a unicorn. I've got a unicorn business and we are raising $2 million. And I'm really excited about it because it takes the three things that we're really good at, the membership component, the jobs, the content. It scales that. And then it leverages that tech platform that we've created once we, we get it, you know, we get it fine-tuned to, to layer on services. So services around human capital, like the stuff I'm talking about, you know, the, hey, we have a, you know, we have a culture problem here, right? Or we have a change management problem, or we have a recruitment, pro, you know, challenge. We want to, you know, hire, I don't know, 20 engineers, right? Um, or, hey, we need a corporate social responsibility or an ESG plan, right? We, we, we don't know what that means. You know, that's a hot topic, right, today. So that's a part of that future. That's a part of the next 24, 36 months. But the next 12 to 24 months is to take, you know, this business we've built and to scale it. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's, it's, it's wild in that, you know, the the fundamental issue I think we have in oil and gas, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, is for literally until COVID hit, I thought we ran ourselves as a lottery ticket business, meaning you just had such the ability in the oil and gas business to go from one to 10 overnight with various things. And, you know, Way back in the day, it could be the Saudis decide to do an embargo and oil prices quadruple. Or it could be literally we get 3D seismic, we can image bright spots, boom, we found a mound and we found 20 million barrels. And boom, overnight, we're worth it. We're worth way more. And then when we moved into kind of the age of the driller, and the shale revolution, we still had that same mentality. I mean, we spent money on technology that allowed us to drill horizontally and frack and you know create big IP rates on that, but we still literally kept our ledger in pencil and paper. We kept land files literally on paper in file cabinets in the office and all it's that. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think, I think, you know, things like diversity, ESG and all that really didn't matter because you as yeah. you as the owner of the asset, uh, you could get rich on any given day. And if you didn't get rich, there were really no downsides to not being rich. I mean, if you had a company right. go bankrupt, it didn't matter because you started the other one. I mean, I remember early on in my career, I was in Midland at the Petroleum Club having lunch. I was sitting there and the old guy across the table from me was like, well, that's about the time I lost my third company. I really liked that one, but whatever. The fourth company was great. Had to give it to the ex-wife. The fifth company was, you know, just you could roll through it. And so I actually think the bigger problem we have is just we've got to go from a world of living in this lottery ticket mentality where we can get rich overnight to holy crap 
nickels, pennies, dimes actually matter these days. And we need to be the best on technology in terms of lowering costs and keeping efficiencies and all that. And I actually think as we make that transition, which hopefully we do, and unfortunately, I think we have to do, because if we don't do it, uh, it's going to just be a repeat cycle of bankruptcies and the like. I actually think that's going to do a lot to further the efforts of diversity, women in business and the like, because lottery ticket businesses, if I'm an old, rich, white guy, who do I have in my company? It's another old, rich, white guy. If I've got to have the best automated land systems, you start hiring the best automated land system person, and it may be a female, it may be a minority, it may be whatever, but it's no longer the default to the rich white guy, you know, and all that. So, well, and you know, Chuck, I think the other thing is, um, there's a lot that, that, um, that computers can do for us, but they can't, they won't ever replace human connection. Um, and this gets back to what I sell is we want to put a face and a voice, um, and a story on the industry. I I know that people are upset right now. Um, whether it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're on, whether you're a guy one or not, you know, (laughs) um, because the country and the world is divided, but we need energy and we need all of it. And we need all people involved. You know, I know how pissed off mother earth is. She dumped, she, he, whoever, uh, dumped, (laughs) you know, um, 60 inches of rain, you know, in my backyard that the federal government pushed into my house and it sat there for 14 days and it's okay for all of us in the oil and gas industry to say, this is real. It's okay for us to say that what we do, we should be proud that we we've brought humanity right to where it is but each and every person should look around at the greed that there is and and i actually love the fact that the eft community calls shit out i'm actually somebody that calls a lot of shit out (laughs) you just don't see it (laughs) we're we're on different channels um but you know one of the things we're going to do with the ally platform is we're going to have an ally score and the ally score is going to look at financial um, health. It's going to look at safety. It's going to look at environment. It's going to look at, at diversity. And it's going to, it's going to help candidates understand, um, is this, is this a good company for me to, you know, work in an energy? And is this a, you know, is this a place where I can, you know, be who I need to be? And can I, you know, trust my leaders? And so, I, I'm excited about it. I think that the job space, if you think about the energy transition, you and I know, and the industry knows, and, and even, even the folks that are in clean energy, they know that oil and gas is going to have a huge role, huge role in the future. Um, it's changing, but it's not, and it's not going out away, but it's got to get cleaner, but we got to have people. It's going to take smarts. Um, it's going to take some some people out of the mix for sure. We're going to have to automate some things, uh, but human ingenuity is is in our DNA, and we will find our way through this. But we we're excited about 
we, we just feel like there's nobody out there creating this niche, right? Creating a social conversation, a real big, loud social conversation around energy and the people that we need um, in the workforce to, to drive the, the energy transition. So that's what we are. Ally is, you know, the community driving an equitable energy transition. And what I mean by equitable is all forms of energy, all people. Yeah, and I hate to I hate to be uh, the pessimistic or the you can be go the, for it the the Debbie Downer if you will in the uh, in the room, but you know the the issue. Okay, so back when I was at Stevens, and that was more than twenty years ago. I mean, I wrote to a seventy five page pitch book as an investment banker, where I basically said the next wave of consolidation in the industry is going to have nothing to do with assets. It's going to have to do with talent. And yeah. I actually, I actually lined up, you know, every company in terms of who had complementary talents and why they should merge and all that. And we went around and pitched it to everybody and every CEO was really kind of nice and said, God, this is great. Put it in their desk. Probably never looked at it again. The, the the two kind of downers I'm going to throw at you are, number one, back to my lottery ticket thing, it's until we have some sort of stability, predictability on product prices, it's just really hard to plan. It's hard to give anybody some sort of certainty in terms of you know, hey, you need to be here because in five years, here's where you're where you'll be on your career. Because you know, if oil goes from seventy five to you know thirty five, two thirds of the folks get laid off, et cetera. So, I don't know that I have a solution there. I mean, I've really been thinking about it. I mean, when Energy Cynic and I did the podcast, whatever we did two months ago, he really brought something home that I hadn't thought of. He was like, we need leadership. We need somebody in the industry saying it's going to be okay. Putting it is going to be a, okay. Put, putting forth a plan, how it's going to be more stable and all that. So that's kind of like my one issue when it comes to oil and gas. I don't know how we break free of, okay, let's just fire everyone. Let's get through it. Oh, times are better. Let's go drive by the prison and pick people up and pay them too much. Okay, but wait, hang, hang on. To, okay, yeah. hang on, check. Hang yeah. on, check. Okay, let me tell you something. Okay, lay it on me. I've been sitting down with leaders and renewable companies and empower companies about skills and transferable skill sets. Right. This is absolutely important. It's not just important to the private sector. It's important. It's important to the government, even though everybody goes, whatever, you know, the government. And, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you that I don't care what the government thinks, because at the end of the day, all the magic happens in the private sector. But right. but they, they but the but the government has recognized over the course of the last eight to 10 years, um, because I've looked at this program. And by the way, I don't say yes to the government to do free things because I'm not getting paid right to be an ambassador to the DOE. Like I have other things in my life to do, like run my business. Right. Okay. But when I looked at this program, these workforce development efforts that they've been working for years, because nothing gets done in the government. Um, it's slow. It has a lot of merit. We need to transition skill sets 
but that takes sitting down and mapping those skill sets. It says it's, it means sitting down and saying, what available talent pool do we have? What available talent, what skill sets are needed? What skill sets are not needed? What can transition, right? Right. And one of the things that I absolutely think we can do is take the tech further. And when I say take the tech, I mean the platform and say, okay, if I'm going to let go this job family, so to speak, I'm, you know, thinking that I'm going to have to downsize. Right. These, I'm going to have these kinds of skill sets available. Wouldn't it be nice to know in the industry that that's available before those people are forced to have to go learn Python or God forbid, drive an Uber car, right? Or whatever. Now, now are salaries going to fall? Sure. I think so. I think there's going to be some normalization. Yeah. Because I do think that, you know, you're talking to somebody who didn't work in the industry right out of school. Right. I worked you know, in other industries where guess what? We didn't get packages. Okay. You know, and we didn't get wages that, that the industry paid. Now I do believe though, <laughs> at some point, the salaries will rise again. I do. I think that if they're spending, um, and we could, again, we can argue this big time. If, if all this, if this $2 trillion climate plan happens and there's a lot of money pumped into um, infrastructure, there's going to be a shortage of people. We don't have enough people. If you look at the statistics, if you look at the labor statistics, if you look at generational statistics, if you look at the number of people that have completely retired, that have any kind of job, family skill set related to energy. And you're talking to somebody that looks at HR. I'm an HR person. I've right. looked at HR. I've done competence, competency management. Okay. You look at that stuff. These people were leaving in droves in 2014, when I started this thing, now they're gone. The next generation, my Gen X, we're the shortest, smallest generation. We're just now taking bigger jobs, but we're also managing families and managing aging parents. So you have to look at that, you know, kind of that element. And then if you look at the, I call it the generation Y, Z, hell, bother, the Gen Y are moving around and I don't blame them. And the Gen Z look up and go, what's the value proposition? Well, I, I, I want to go work for, for, for Facebook because Facebook and Tesla, right? Their stocks are high. I get paid really well and move to California, whatever, right? So my point is we have to do something about this. What's going to happen? Like nobody's going to make energy and, you know, tech's going to run it. No, I mean, we are going to be woefully short and it's going to come at a premium. And when it comes at a premium, wages will rise. I really believe that. Yeah, no, I and really I and I, I totally agree with everything you just said. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that problem other than throw money at it. Because the other thing I'll be the huge buzzkill on when it comes to energy transition, um, you know, cause I was talking to an LP the other day and they're like, go raise an energy transition fund. And I said, okay, tell me what the regulatory framework is gonna be into the future so that I can figure out what's gonna be the winner, what's gonna be the loser. Cause at the end of the day, there is no technology out there 
that single-handedly, based on the rules of today, can replace oil and gas as a fuel source. But at the, you know, as we sit there and we look at it, it all comes down to China and the United States sitting down and figuring out what the hell's gonna happen to reduce carbon. And they're gonna no, they're I... they're gonna have to sit down, they're gonna have to do that. They're going to have to come up with a plan. There's going to be a massive treaty that happens. It's going, to, it's going to be the worst <laughs> sausage. It's going to be the worst sausage making on the planet. And until that, until that happens, you shouldn't invest a dollar in energy transa- a well, transition. You know because- what, though, Chuck? <laughs> Chuck, it's, look, I'm going to t- we're going to just have, it's going to have to be the, t- you're going to come and talk on my podcast, right? We're going to sure. have you, I hope. Okay, good. Yeah, no, happy to. Because we need to we need to continue this conversation because it's this is why I'm I'm so freaking stoked about being alive in 2021 because it's coming up. Everybody's like, okay, 2020, you know, was and by the way, I say that with with uh, I should say that actually with with um being humble because yeah, all, lost, as we all lost should. a lot yeah. of no, I and mean, we've lost no, a lot agree. of people this year, but it's it's I think on the other side of this pandemic, we're going to see a flourishing of innovation. Go read history, man. Like history says disease brings us to right. Yeah. Next era. And I, I I just look at this and I go and energy is it's, it's, it's already in its, in its, in this disruptive right state. And so, and I'm excited about it because I'll be honest with you, you know, I named my kid, I named my, and I did, it wasn't intentional by the way, I named this company after my kid. She actually looked at me. She said, mom, you overthink things because I was trying to come up with a name. She said, sometimes you got to look straight. Just look, look, you know, the answer's right in front of you. And I said, damn, she's right. You know, and I I decided, okay, I'm going to call the company, you know, Ally. But I want a future for my kid. I want to know that when I leave this planet, that freaking Allie's going to have a a house and she'll have a house that's worth something, your kid, right? I mean, we put all of our, our eggs into our, our, our things, right? But at the end of the day, when we're gone, we're gone, right? And and I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm worried that that we're going to continue to have these, I don't know, 2020 like you know years. We can't we can't afford that. We've got to sit down and think about the way our economy works, the way equity works from a people perspective. And I don't mean, um, I mean everybody, okay? And the way the environment works. And I think that. That's the intersection of these mega trends. We have a lot of things we need to deal with. It's it's a weird time in in the history of of our um you know of of man and womankind. Right. And it's 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 but it's fun, and that's why I love being an entrepreneur right now. Like I wouldn't you you would have to like I told my husband I'm like don't ever make me go back, please. And and he knows it's it's I'm done. You know I'm done with that. I you know. Yeah. No, and I'm I'm agreeing with you. I I was looking at it from the framework of a capital deployer, right? Or, right. Or, and right. and when I say capital deployer, I mean you're cutting checks, or yeah. if you're 25 years old and you're going to spend time, you know, I believe you're 50 hours a day, 60 or 60 hours a week. Mean, you know, that's equity for you when you're 25. That's the the thing I kind of struggle with is, okay, who's going to be the winner? I can go work for company XYZ 
And it could turn out that, you know, in three years when there's a deal between China and the United States, it turns out that every technology has to include nickel. And if you're in a technology that only uses platinum, boom, you go bust. And that right. that that's my worry. And that's why I would be, as an energy transition person, I'd be a lot more hesitant in terms of spending dollars in what I'll call the A to B phase or maybe the B to C phase, mm -hmm. i.e. the early type dollars is, you know, let's just cut to the chase. China and U.S. got to get their shit together on carbon remo removal. And when we figure that out, then, yeah, it's going to make a lot of sense because you're you're absolutely right in that every generation has had it better than previous generations. And yes. it's because of technology. It's because of free markets. It's because of ingenuity and all that. So I believe that's going to happen. I just sitting here right now in energy, I'm kind of totally the most negative person on the planet. I basically... You know, because I get a lot of direct messages through Twitter or LinkedIn saying, hey, can we talk? I'm 25. I want to hear your take on the industry. And my short version is I would get out of the industry if I could and go find something. Or if you're going to stay in the industry, do not believe in regression to the mean. It's not going to go you, back. Thank you, man. You're making my, you're going to yeah. line my pocket. Yeah. You're well, lining my pocket. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's. It's it's not going to go back to being the way it is, and no, it's you know, not. It's going to change. But but here's the thing: every piece of data shows that people like industries that create those experiences. You know, so healthcare and tech and finance and consumer packaged goods. But, um. I think I told you this and, and I don't mind saying it. I'm really excited. I'm going to be in a documentary that comes out in a couple of weeks and we'll have to have you on and we can talk about it, but it talks about the intersection of this very topic. You know, every generation has had it good and it talks about how complicated money is and how complicated the systems are and how the future doesn't look so good and that we have some hard choices we need to make. Um, and I believe that actually we need to invest in our future. We need to invest in, in, in an energy ecosystem that's balanced and we need a workforce that's balanced to drive it. I don't know that we can afford to sit back and say that what we have right now is, 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 is adequate. That's uh, just my opinion. And, right? and, and I actually think, I, th I actually think what, you know, I'll go back to the Jerry Maguire. You think we're fighting. I think we're finally communicating the, the, you know, just as the joke, I actually think we're saying the same thing. I'm yeah. saying ultimately at the end of the day, there is a volatility that overrides everything that chases people away, creates the, in, uh, the instability. I don't know that we have a solution to get rid of that. And I think that instability, that volatility, that uncertainty exists across all of energy. It's oil price. I, it's no, natural you're, you're, you're gas price. Right. It's you're transition. Totally right. Yeah, and and ultimately, at the end of the day, that I think is is what we have to solve. And I don't know how to do it. But, I really but you know don't. what? I think that's what makes it fascinating, bro. Because I'm telling you, 
Like energy is the currency of life. I met Jeff Bridges a year ago and he's a pal and he did a movie on this. And it's so true. Like if you think about it, it is the currency. It's like what our entire freaking global economy runs It's GDP. On. It's GDP. It's, it's oil, total GDP. Oil it's, is 90% of transportation costs. It's total GDP. Yeah, exactly. It's all GDP. But 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 debt right now, how much money? How much how, how much how many how many dollars are created? How many dollars of debt are created for one dollar of GDP? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you need to watch that. the movie. <laughs> uh, no, 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 yeah, no, I mean, it's basically if you go back to I'll get this stat wrong, but if you go back to 1980 and you look at GDP growth, it's something ridiculous like for every dollar of GDP growth you created 1.2 dollars of debt. It it's something ridiculous. I don't have the exact number, but it it really is that bad. And you know, it's really interesting because you know, where we are, there has never been a fiat currency in the history of the world that hasn't imploded. And it was... See, and this is, this is the movie. It basically talks about, and this is so true. You and I live in the best country in the world. And I'll never forget, I told my father, because I used to fly all over the world for Shell and BP. And, and I'm not going to lie. It was amazing, right? This industry gave me such an appreciation for the world. It, it, it brought me places. It opened my mind. It, it helped me see actually the diversity and inclusion and all this stuff really was important. Right. And I remember coming back and going, man, we have a real problem in America. It's called, we think that nothing can happen here, that nothing happens here. And that's the attitude I had about my house too. How is it that exactly my house, I'm the one that watches people on TV get rescued, okay? I'm the one that writes a check when someone needs help. I'm not the one who files for, right, who who, who says, thank you, friends and family, right, for helping us out. It's, it, I'm telling you, I, I look at America right now, and I say, it doesn't feel like it was, you know, when I grew up, right? And so it makes you wonder, are we going about it the right way? Should we be doing it differently? Was globalization really a good thing? Like, you know what I mean? And I know I, we could talk about the history of the world because you are such a conversationalist. Um, well, but, you, but, no, you're, you're exactly right in that when you sit there and you look at things and you dig through it and all, I mean, to go back to my fiat currency point, you know, Nixon took us off the gold standard in the 70s. Right. So we're we're sitting there running, call it 50 years right now, where we've been a pure fiat currency. We got 30 trillion dollars in debt. And one of my one of my brother's best friends is like mm -hmm. the smartest guy I've ever met. He has been a money manager. He worked for Julian Robertson. He, you know, he worked for multiple very big, successful money management firms. And I've always asked him, you know, how does this end? And he says the financial call of his life is going to be the moment he says, go from dollars to gold. Because 
the the dynamic there, the push and the pull is we look at the United States and we go $30 trillion worth of debt. We can calculate how much that is per person and we can weigh all that and go, holy shit, we're never going to pay all that back. But the dollar is the world's currency. The, mm-hmm. U- the U.S. Treasury bill and bonds are liquid and they're the most traded instrument in the world. So you can get in and out of. So they're the safest member of the leper colony at this point. But again, you you study currencies and man, when the fiat currency, people lose faith in it. I mean, the Weimar Republic went from boom, our currency is great to a year later, people walking around with wheelbarrows. So that, Look, yeah. you're, you're freaking me out because no, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I've, but it's, no, no, it's, no, no, but I've read, I've read, you know, I've read and studied. So history was a minor and so was poli sci. Um, you know, I read about the Roman empire, obviously. And, um, in the movie it's, it, the movie's called hot money. It talks about, you know, the fall of, of, um, you know, of, uh, of Venezuela, you know, a rich oil, um, city. You look at, you know, parts of Africa, right? It's, it's, um, 40, 40, like- 40 years ago in our side of the world, the second most desirable company country to live in was probably Venezuela. Yeah. 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 No, it was, it was, it, it, it was. And, and so, um, I'm not going to let you see. So, so the trailer comes out on, uh, on January 11th, but I might sneak you a copy so you can see that I just got a copy of it. But the, the movie comes out on the 19th and it's called Hot Money. And it's it's all about this this intersection of finance, insurance, um, uh, housing and energy and 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 our climate. So uh, and, and it's 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 fascinating because I'm like I said, I told you I'm not a number. I wasn't I never thought of myself as a numbers person. But the more I've uh, studied energy and humans and behavior and, and had my own <laughs> environmental uh, moments, um, I've been fascinated about um, money and, and currency and, and how how it works and global trade and um, but yeah, wow. Okay, so six o'clock on uh, December thirty first, yeah. 20, twenty twenty, and we're talking about Armageddon. That um, that we are, and we've been talking for a long time. Let me say this: that uh, yes. it's interesting because all of this kind of comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, I had a buddy that I was talking to, and we were talking about the American dream and the American dream really is free drinks and cheap debt. And it's interesting in terms of how long can that, uh, can that actually serve us? Because, you know, at some point, you know, having too much debt is like an airplane flying about 10 feet above the ocean, right? A big wave takes you under and, and it's going to be one wave and it's going to be quick. So that's kind of, that's kind of scary. Why don't we do this? You've been really cool. We've been talking way longer than I intended to take of your time. But that's what, okay. I'm having fun. And and look, I want to thank you. Um, I, I want to thank thank uh, everybody. And I want to. I do want to say one thing because I think it's a co- a topic we we haven't covered. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions you have. You know about. Um, you know um, the Vicky post. Uh, I want to. I want to point 
something out about that. I wrote that post. You know, one of the things that that um, now that we've had this conversation, maybe you can appreciate it. You know, I I love the media. The media are people um, who are curious. You know, they want to tell stories, and and I appreciate they want to tell stories. But one of the things as an industry person that I can appreciate after being in industry for you know, 15 years, you know, I wanted, I left journalism school and I wanted to be a good journalist. And I realized, you know what, (laughs) if you're going to be a good journalist, you need to go learn something. So I got into the industry. Um, When I started getting phone calls about Vicky and my opinion of Vicky as a female CEO, it really got on my nerves, right? Because it was like, what do you think, Pink Petro? It's kind of like the whole, what do you think of this me too thing, right? And so I didn't want to give them my story. I didn't want to give them any of the words. I wanted to tell the world in my words on my site, right? My platform, what I thought, right? Right. Um, and I know Vicki personally, she's a humble person. Um, and look, there are a lot of company CEOs that have uh, taken positions, taken risks, done things, the market's gone bad, you know, it hasn't gone in their favor. But Vicky has a very, um, in my view, a very progressive ver- uh, vision when it comes to carbon capture. And, um, and an interesting story that I'm not li- at liberty to talk about, about, you know, how the whole deal went down. And I find it, I find it fascinating. Um She's a humble person and she's one in a room of many. Um, and my whole piece, it wasn't, she wasn't actually uh, paid to write it. Okay. Um, I work with Oxy's HR team. I work with Shell's HR team. And we talk about, you know, the industry of the future. I put an opinion piece out there just like, Anybody who's a member can put an opinion piece and someone picked it up just like, um, you know, the uh, blue Petro post, you know, I I'm fascinated. Actually, I'm, I'm honored to know that either people are reading or they're Googling, you know, our SEO must be working somehow. Um, you know, that, that what we're, putting on our site is getting, is getting read and it's, it's getting heard. But I wanted people to know that I read about more bankruptcies and more delistings. Right. And I basically just got tired of every, every outlet across the world wanted to know what I thought. And I basically was like, you know, if if Vicky was Victor, we wouldn't be talking about this right? Like we wouldn't be making this big deal out of it. So just let the woman lead, you know, give her the space, let her go be, you know? And I just remembered my childhood as an, a, a child of the eighties watching J.R. Ewing, you know, and J.R. got shot and, you know, J.R. ended up being an alcoholic in real life. Right. And J.R. had a lot of problems and, you know, right. sounds like a lot of these guys that have bankrupted companies. And by the way, do I think it's cool that these people take money and then they they go into bankruptcy? No, I, I don't think that's cool. That's not good behavior. That's not leadership. So let's make sure it's clear to everybody, you know, that that I don't. I believe in good leadership. I believe in sound financial leadership. 
sound people leadership, ownership, accountability. When you do something wrong, you know, you own it. Um, I got thrown into a hot mess of a Twitter post somehow, you know, earlier this year in the middle of lockdown when we were all probably pretty tired, right? And um, the blue Petra thing got on my nerves because it wasn't so much about the blue Petra, although it was, uh, I felt very honored that we were, that somebody had the time to put that together. I was upset that, that a young female engineer was, you know, unfairly kind of thrown into the middle of it. And I thought of my daughter and that's what got me pissed, right? And then, and then, and then the news media calls me again. Well, so you've been trolled. Well, yes, I've been trolled. You think you run an organ, you know, you run a company named Pink Petro and you're not going to get, it's like you've written some pieces in the past about how I've run into some trouble, right? You know, so, and it, and it's been hard, but when you're trying to make change happen, you're, you're going to run into this stuff, right? And has it been weird? Yeah, it's been weird. It's been weird, but I do this stuff every day. I get up every day because I care about my kid. I'm not getting up because I care about the money. It just so happens that we're making good money and we're going to continue to grow and we've got a good business, I think. And I'm, I'm excited about the future. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say all that because, you know, the one thing, and I've talked about this, I talked about this with, uh, with Energy Cynic um, when he was on the podcast, he or she. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, I will repeat my pledge from the Christmas special. There will be no more distortions. If we have somebody anonymous on, we're going to have a voice actor just read their side of the podcast. We will not do the distortion anymore because uh, unfortunately we were having to weigh distort Senek just to be careful to make sure he or she was not recognized. And, you know, it was really funny. Somebody I think posted on Twitter, they're like going, man, the cartel couldn't find the guy with that distortion. But um, no, it's, it's, it's where I was going with this is, you know, no idea who Energy Cynic is. I didn't know he or her and always made fun of me online. I mean, you know, made fun of me at my roast. I mean, when I got booted and the news broke, you know, I, there were, po I think the one of the, one of my favorite posts was the, in honor of Chuck Yates, I'm going to go get really drunk, stagger around my house in my ripped jeans. You know, I was like, <laughs> Okay, great. At one at one point, I think Energy Cynic said Chuck Yates is the person most likely to wake up in a bathtub full of ice without a kidney. You know, I mean, it's like so. So, but but where I was going with all of this is, you know, I I got all that. I kind of just laughed at all that because, quite frankly, it was funny. Cynic's really funny. I would actually consider Cynic a pretty good friend today. No idea who they are. I really don't. I don't know their identity. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard their voice in real life, but I didn't recognize it. We distorted the voice going forward. We communicated through a made-up email address that I'm sure he or she has never used again. You know, so all that. 
that's the thing that is so hard to navigate in these world, particularly on Twitter, is how do you just roll with something and all and then gradually become accepted by it versus what you're saying? Here's some reservoir engineer that made a call felt like something bad went down and maybe they didn't want to be thrust in the middle of it. And all of a sudden they are, I mean, that's, that's, no. And it was, it was sad. I, I, I wanted this poor girl who was just random girl. And of course the SPE got in the middle of it and, you know, and then, and then it got, and, and then the whole thing went out of control because I never said did anybody from EFT put anything in my mailbox, nor did I say anybody sent me a toy to my office? Did I say that EFT did that? No. I said that has happened. In this journey, I have been trolled, right? And guess what? I'm probably going to continue to get trolled. And here's the thing. What I find fantastically flawed about big tech is that you can see it. And actually on Twitter, it's a joke. Um, there are so many people that are, so Twitter, all of the channels verified that should not be verified. They have fake clicks, bots, whatever these things are, right? I've had to learn about all of this through friends that are in um, the Valley. And um, I was verified a few years ago. I actually was it was recommended because I had had some problems right early on to get verified because I my identity had been taken from me. So, and trust me, the minute that whole process happened, Chuck, I was pretty wigged out because it was like, okay, I'm just a Southern girl from Louisiana who, <laughs> you know, went to LSU and right got on an airplane, sat next to a guy, cared about an issue. And then here I am, you know, I didn't, it, it, it all happened very quickly. And so earlier this year, I found myself going, I don't even know how to use Twitter. I mean, you know, me, I'm constantly asking you, like, I'm sitting here going, you know, okay, I want to post about the fact that, you know, Nimble Fatty and I are doing this thing sober. And I don't even know like how to do the hashtag and all of that. You know, my channel is LinkedIn, although um, uh, I tend to try and hang out, you know, in our community more, and we'll, we'll be spending a lot of time in Ally in the new year, but every channel is different. The culture is different, right? The counterculture is different. I've found that obviously in the last four years, the culture on Twitter has become cesspool, Um and uh, and obviously they make money, I guess, through ads and things. I you know what? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna phenomenon. cut. I'm gonna cut you off real quick and and go say, for it. Say Explain this. it to me. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this. It's much more like the schoolyard because yeah. So, so I get you know I get the boot from Kane. It pops out in the media, and you know there's 48 hours, 72 hours of a firestorm. I actually. I was on Twitter day one. I mean, I've like traded tweets with Shaquille O'Neal and Chad Johnson. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. I've got Chad Johnson's cell phone. Of course, it's like three cell phones ago, his number. But anyway, you know, so I was on it. But about, you know, I can't do the math because of COVID. But let's say a year before I got fired, 
things were just things were always weird at Kane. They never really wanted me around, but they were particularly weird. So I just said, you know what? I should get off Twitter because I don't need to give them the rope to hang me, you know? Right. And and so I got off Twitter. So when I jumped back on kind of post getting fired, let's call it June 1st or whenever it was, it was really funny because I was newcomer. It's this guy that, you know, is posing. He's private equity dude. He's trying to break into our community and all that. And I still don't think I've been accepted, you know, fully by the uh, by the community. What I would say is, you know, if you're going to play in that, you're going to take your shots. But the 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 defense I will give is, for all the shots I took, I got so many direct messages saying, "Hey, was that shot out of line?" I'm really, you know, I'll take it down if you want me right. to. And I always text. I always went back and said, "No, it was actually funny. We're all good." Uh, and all that. And I tried to be really self-deprecating in things I've said. I've never actually said a bad thing about anybody else on on Twitter, just because I kind of want to be Switzerland. I don't want to 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 kind of have enemies out there and all that. Um, so, you know, every day it gets a little better. I'm a little more accepted and all that. But at the at the same time, you know, I would say it's a rough crowd to play with, but I don't think at their core they're malicious. I actually think they just like to throw jabs, take your jabs. You can fire some jabs back and it'll it'll wind up being all good. But I you know, that's been my experience, but you're right, it's it's uh it's it's a different place. We were I forget who I was talking to today. Uh, I was talking to somebody and we were talking about, you know, and they were talking about the country club that is energy finance Twitter. And I was going, eh, it's not a country club. It's a roadside bar. <laughs> I mean, <let's, laughs> well, me. and I, I have to tell you though, I mean, I was, I am, um, we, so we, I don't know if, if anyone appreciated it, although because many of the EFT um, think, uh, you know, LinkedIn is a horrible channel. I don't disagree. I think LinkedIn um, has its flaws. One of the flaws I had with LinkedIn this year is, uh, and and a few years ago, a few years ago, they had a best workplaces, best workplaces for IT, best, they left energy out. Well, we, you know, we went and started a best workplaces for energy. Guess what? That's something we run every year now. Now we have a top voices in energy because guess what? They didn't do a top voices this year of all years right? Or even a top voices of environment or a top, you know, and so I thought to myself, you know, um, who do I think are some top voices? And EFT's got a, a voice. I mean, it has a, a voice when it comes to the investment community and I have to honor that. And, you know, as much as I've kind of, you know, somehow gotten myself into the fire before, um, I respect that. And, um, and I respect that anybody, you know, who wants to point, put their voice out there, but I do also encourage, I'm kind of like you, you know, be you, but it's very easy for people like ourselves to say that we're not, um, we're not working for companies. So that's why, why in my book, and I know I keep pushing my book, but by the way, not something that I set out to make money off of. I, I wrote it after, uh, I finished it after Harvey, it kind of helped me get through, um, you know, the, the shock and awe of the house and, and, and the business. But, but I, I said, you know, um, it's important that, that, uh, that 
that you, you put your voice out there, right? You gotta, you know, you, if, 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 if a company isn't for you, the best option, the best job in the world, believe it or not, is becoming your own boss. And I really believe in the next, you know, five, 10 years, it's going to get harder to be in a company. Um, I see that in my clients. I see that they're working a lot, a lot harder than I know we, we used to work. <laughs> and so I, I really like uh, being out here in the fire as an entrepreneur, rolling up my sleeves and, uh, and having fun. So well, I appreciate uh, you like, you know, doing this because this is, this has been awesome. And I'm so glad that I get to be on your podcast on the digital wildcatters channel. It's kind of come full circle. If you, if you ask me. No, the, uh, no, I appreciate you coming in and, um, and all, and it's been, it's been kind of fun to talk and, and hopefully, uh, people listen to this and, uh, not throw stones at both of us, but here's one last thing I want to do. And I, yeah. this is, I totally threw you in the deep end on this. You're the guinea pig. So I apologize, but you know, I used to close each podcast with five questions and I totally stole that from Craig Kilborn and like two or three of the questions would be funny. Two or three would be serious. And it was an okay bit, but at the end of the day, I don't really think it furthered an understanding of who the, who the person was or humanized it or anything like that. So what I asked you to do a couple of days ago was I said, create a pod uh, playlist mm -hmm. of songs. And you said, what the hell does that mean, Chuck? And I said, I really don't know, right? <laughs> I, I said, I don't know. You're the guinea pig and all that. And so what I'd love for you to do is, and we're going to do this in five minutes, and then we're going to go celebrate New Year's Eve and roll call and all that good stuff. But tell me the songs you put on your pod list, on your playlist tell me how you thought about creating kind of the playlist and tell me why those songs are on there. And there's one of the songs that I want to drill into. So when you finish, I'll, I'll drill into one of those songs. Okay. So, um, did I send you that list? You did. Hmm. You did. You want me to read it? I've yeah, got it. I've got him. it. I got I it in front of me. Him. I got it in front of me. And I'll go ahead and say this, what you said in your, your email, you said you actually looked at your stats and it appears that these were the most played songs you had in 2020. Yes. So 2020, I, my loop. My yeah. loop. So I, I kind of like that. It's like, all right. I know, I know, I know the one that I always have in there because it's like my own, it's my main, it's my big, you know, it's my song. It's, yeah. And I think so. that, that's going to be the one we're going to talk about. But okay. So Legends Are Made by Sam Tenenez. Yes. Push the Limits by Enigma. Mm -hmm. Whatever it takes, Imagine Dragons. And we can delete this out if you're embarrassed because I'm embarrassed for you. But next one, Footloose by Kenny Loggins. No, we're really? not deleting that. Yes, oh my we're God. not deleting that. Are you kidding me? So you know, know. So, you know what's so funny is somebody today <laughs> tweeted back a uh, a gif uh, to me that was Kenny Loggins. Uh, it was Footloose dancing. And I was like going, this thing is haunting me. All right. I'll give you your break on Footloose. We all uh, we all have those moments of failure in our life. 
No, and then you went with my favorite song, favorite band of all time, Never Can Go yes. Wrong, With or Without You by U2. Yes. So, so give me like 30 seconds, a minute about the playlist, that song, something. Just, you know, why'd you do it this way? Or what does one of these songs mean to you? What do they all mean to you? Or we can go back to talking energy transition. I don't know. No, it's fine. Um, so Legends Are Made um, is the song that was playing on the stage um, when our Energy 2.0 conference came to a close in March. And um, it was our fifth anniversary of Pink Petro. And I knew then that the world was getting ready to go under lockdown. We had pushed pretty hard to stick with it. Um, Sierra Week, oddly enough, was supposed to be the same week. They had canceled, but because we didn't have any international fly-ins, we pushed forward. We toppled the records this year. We got close to 80,000. And I said to myself, you know, in my head, I was just like, online's going to get ready to be get. It's just going to get big. It's going to get big. So I was smiling like, you know what? This is really cool. And so I just remember legends were are made, was being played. It was, a, it was a, something that was picked by someone. So I put it on my playlist. Oh, that's cool. Yes. And then the others, you know, push the limits and whatever it takes. Those are kind of like on my list because uh, they're the ones that, I don't know, when I want to push myself, you know, think something differently. I got to, I got to listen to some, some, some up, up music and Footloose is totally just, I don't know. It's silly, right? No, it's, (laughs) it's, it's. It, it it's eighties t- man, right? No, it it in all fair. I mean, I'm sitting here mocking you for Footloose. No, if I you, mean, if you asked me, Chuck Yates, what was your favorite song of all time? I'd say "Talk Dirty to Me" by Poison. So I right, really, right. I really have no no room to talk. No, it's it's cool. I uh, well, and not only that, I'm secretly I really 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 want Colin to make a meme of me. And Footloose with Kenny Loggins, or not Kenny Loggins, but you know the guy in the movie because he he was pretty hot in, in the eighties. As the um, as the recipient of Colin memes, you don't want that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. <laughs> maybe well, maybe one of these days I'll get I'll get included in the um in the roll call, but and and it'll be Footloose. But yeah, uh, there you so. go, there you go. Um, and then yeah, and then with or without you. So, so no, so that that's interesting because with or without you by you two that was my song that i will say introduced me to you two because you know yeah in high school i had heard pride in the name of love i'd heard the song bad um i had you know i watched live aid and i saw you two perform and i you know listened to do they know it's christmas and bono sang on it and all but it was it was that song with or without you and kind of the haunting guitar and all that, that went, holy shit. And it defined you too. I mean, I think that, you know, really nailed home what's the best about you too. And it was through that lens that really gave me 
a look into U2 and I'll put them in my top 10 bands, 15 bands of all time. They're not number one, but boy, I got mad respect for U2. And it's really that song. I think absent that song, I would not appreciate one. I would not appreciate Mysterious Ways. I don't think I would appreciate the rest of it without hearing you too, because it feels like that kind of crystallized what they were about. It's Bono's struggle between being a married guy and being able to go out on the road and pick up any woman he wants, you know, this with or without you. Everybody kind of assumes it's a man and a woman type yeah. discussion. It's really not. It's him struggling with his life. And then just the haunting guitar by the edge using i forget what the name of the guitar is but it was a new guitar that used magnets to actually hit the strings instead of using a pick or using your fingers which allowed the uh the note to carry much longer and to me it felt like church i mean it was literally kind of heavenly or spiritual and all that. no i i have to tell you you've got it right that was this was the song that that opened my mind to the band too. And after that, I was just like, okay, these are pretty cool guys. And anytime they, they tour, I'll, uh, I'll go, I'll go see them. And anytime I hear this song live, which I hope one day we'll get to see concerts uh, live again. Um, you know, I get, I get the chills and it's, it's weird because I've never understood the meaning behind the words. Um, so I have always <laughs> thought of different versions of what maybe some of this meant. So to hear you uh, clarify uh, the meaning behind the words is, is interesting, but it, it's a, it's just a great, it's a great song. And it's one of those things that sadly I would be the, you know, we, we played the, um, the uh, obviously we, play this at the wedding <laughs> we play, we've played this uh i probably would play this at my funeral it's a beautiful song it's just it's just deep you know it's a good song it's a good song so i mean if you if if you actually sit there and think through lyrics of songs and all that i'm not saying this is number one but yeah. i'm not i at the end of the day i'm also saying no one could call call me crazy for saying this they may disagree but I mean, lyric in a song, but you give yourself away. I mean, you know, I mean, he's basically sitting there talking about, you know, this dark side and whether that's an actual woman that he could cheat on his wife with or whether it's just temptation being on the road. Yeah. I mean, he he's actually not just saying I want to have sex with her. He's saying you're giving yourself away being in this other relationship, not being with me. I mean, that's pretty powerful shit. <laughs> I mean, it really is, you know? See, and I learn something every day. I mean, I learn a lot, obviously, but this, this, uh, it's like, you know, Chuck, I'm just going to maybe forget that you just explained it all that way because I had, I don't know. I just had, childhood memories you know i ruined your favorite song oh <laughs> you know guys i danced with because i was like oh i got to dance with him with my favorite song you know no i mean it's a good song it's a good song and it just reminds me of it believe it or not just reminds me of, of my childhood 
you know, and things were easy then, or they were easier then. Although I might, I might look back on this and say, no, you know, <laughs> oh, they were rougher then and they're easier now. I don't know. But no, I mean, it was an 80s song. It was, it was a good, it was, it was a good uh, era, you know, and um, I'm a child of the 80s. So that's why the whole, get the whole 80s theme here, but it's, so, yeah, it's a good song. It's good so song. funny, it, you know, as you probably know, one of my best friends in the world is the singer Jewel and her biggest hit of all time is You Were Meant For Me. And yep. she literally gets paid a ton to sing that song at people's wedding. And the irony of that whole song, if you listen to it, the irony of the whole song is it's a breakup song. This is some woman that got broken up with by a guy who is sitting there after the fact saying, one day you will see you were meant for me and I was meant for you. I mean, and and all of these people are playing this song at their wedding and you're just kind of like going, are you not listening to the words? So anyway, I say that because I hope to God I just didn't ruin with or without you <laughs> for you. Sorry about that. No, no, no. You didn't ruin it. You didn't ruin it for me. I just, I'm glad you asked because it's just a good song. Like anytime you bring up the song, people go, yeah, you know, like they all kind of lament like, well, and I think that's why it, it's probably their one of their, if not their top, you know, their their top song. The thing I like about you two too is they're they've got depth, you know. They of course everybody'll say, Oh, they're crazy, you know, they're you know, they're they're left, they're leftist, but they've got passion in their words. And they use their, well, they use their platform, right? They use their music to, 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 to put meaning. They, they bring, it gets back to the content. They bring meaningful content. People connect, right, with their music. And that's why they're, they're successful. You know, my, one of my favorite U2 stories is uh, Bono and his wife have Jay-Z and Beyonce over to dinner. And they interviewed one of uh, Bono's kids after the dinner and the kid was like oh my god it was so embarrassing all my dad did was talk about Africa I can't believe it we were with Jay-Z and Beyonce and I took from that if Bono can't be cool in front of his kids none of us have a freaking chance <laughs> right I mean well Katie you were very cool to do this thanks Chuck thanks Katie take care happy new year happy new year to you